Welcome back to the Girl Scout Troop Leader Experience Podcast. This is your host, Sarah Heater. And recently in the Facebook group, I made a post asking if you could ask me anything and have me address it on a podcast, what would you ask me? And this episode is one of those questions. Welcome back to the Troop Leader Experience Podcast. I am back to answering questions today, and I'm excited because this time I brought a guest in. Now, I know I told you that the sort of premise of this was if we went to coffee, how would I respond? But as I was trying to think about my response to some of these questions that were kind of in the same general direction, I could not help but think about someone that I follow online and have been following for quite some time and what she would say in response to these. So I thought, what the heck, let's just have her come on and and talk about it. So we have a guest today. So before we get into the question, go ahead and please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. I am Anna Skates. So I am a conscious parenting coach, which really just means I'm a listening partner and problem solving partner for parents who are struggling in their relationship with their kids and need to get some freedom and some peace in that relationship. So I love working with parents to develop more peaceful relationships with their kids. And I'm also a children's advocate. And really what that means is that I see the world very much with a kid first lens. And so I often find myself in spaces really advocating for respect for children, for their voices to be heard, for them to be considered as people um, and valuable members of society. And so that's sort of my driving force in life. And yeah, it's what's behind so much of of my work, even in the parent coaching. So maybe that was too long-winded of an introduction, but that's who I am. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was perfect. Uh, And I think also, If that doesn't already clue you in, listener, to the millions of conversations that we could have that would be relevant on this podcast with Anna, I mean, here we go. So what we want to kind of talk about today, I did get a few questions and I have actually in the past four years gotten a few questions about the, these kind of topics from you guys around this idea of behavior management in your troop. And I know everybody is listening and just thinking, yep, this is a thing. This is a thing that is hard. So specifically, I did get a question from somebody asking about discipline and how to approach discipline uh, with their troop. And it was a pretty long-winded question and also pretty personal, so I'm not going to read it. But let's just start with this idea of discipline, Anna. What is discipline? And is there such thing as good discipline? (laughs) Yeah, so I think... The word discipline is very interesting. It's often, I think, used synonymously with the idea of punishments, but those two aren't actually the same thing. And what's interesting about this question in the context of Girl Scouts is that so much of what Girl Scouts is and does and helps to build in these girls is discipline. Discipline is about this like inner strength and inner conviction to live by a certain set of like values or ethic, right? Discipline, I think often in when we're talking about kids and we use the term discipline, we're thinking like, how do I punish or or set rules in place for this kid so they don't do X, Y, Z ever again? Or how do I get them to do this thing by way of 
force usually, right? Which interestingly enough, isn't actually a very effective way to instill discipline in a person, right? So I imagine what this person may really be asking about is, is this very like tricky balance when you are the grown up in a group of kids and you are in, in charge, so to speak, of this group? And what happens when it starts to get or, or feel out of control or out of your control, at least? Um, what do you do to, quote unquote, keep everybody in line, right? And while I don't love that phrasing, I know having been somebody that has been in classrooms full of kids before, I know that there is a delicate balance of, of sort of maintaining some sense of cohesion in a group and, and this, this sense of like, Hey, we're all in this together. So we're all going to sort of cooperate with one another to, to get this stuff done, you know? So it's, uh, it's an interesting question, but I do think that the concept of discipline is usually placed within a mindset of how do I get these kids under control and the concept of control usually ends up backfiring because you end up in a power struggle situation with kids when you really try to put yourself in a place of control over them. But again, being in a group and having to lead a group of kids, uh, there is a sense of order, I think, that that needs to happen. And so we can certainly talk about how that happens. <laughs> yeah. So I love so much about what you said. And I kind of want to jump in sort of with my two cents and say, I think that from a troop leader perspective, especially when you're first starting out, you get into this environment with this group of girls and it does feel like that. Like I'm supposed to, I'm responsible for them and I'm supposed to be in control of the situation when mm-hmm. the reality is what we're responsible for is their safety. Like that's pretty much the the extent of our our control over the situation is we have control over making sure it's a safe space and um i think that can be emotional but also physical and any other form of safety so um that would be like kind of my two cents in you know it feels like exactly what anna described of like we're supposed to have control over this situation when um if we can kind of reframe it in our minds of it's not about controlling them it's more about um making sure that you're responsible for making sure it's safe and then you're taking them this is so cheesy and girl scouty but then you're taking them on a journey, right? Like they are going on their own journey and you're there to support them in that. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, having some semblance of order does matter. So how do we manage like overall behavior in a group setting, acknowledging that every individual girl who's showing up to that environment is bringing their own individual emotional needs and their own emotional journey? Totally. So, uh, you know, obviously there are external factors that you can't possibly plan for. Like you said, like all these girls are coming from different home lives, different emotional states and, or, or social states with their friends or whatever. Like there are all kinds of elements that you have no way of a knowing in advance or b controlling, frankly. So, I mean, in my mind, the way I would approach being quote unquote in charge or leading a group of kids would be to sort of establish from the get-go these sort of like boundaries or agreements that you can all make together. I have a friend who's an elementary school teacher and she doesn't have quote unquote classroom rules so much as she collaborates with her students to create 
these like guidelines that they all agree to and follow throughout the year. And if somebody gets off course, they're all able to sort of help redirect and bring everybody back to these agreed upon standards, right? These agreed upon rules, so to speak. And so I think that could be one really helpful way to go about leading your troop is to at the very beginning, or if you're you're not at the very beginning, I don't think it's ever too late to do this, but to get everybody together, assuming that they're old enough, which yeah, K through, I think you could totally do this with any age um, to say, Hey, you know, let's talk about how we want to be as a troop. What are the things that are really important to us as a troop? And you can talk about what's important to you. And then from there, you can talk about, okay, how can we work together to make these things happen or to, or to make sure that our group always feels like this as best we can? Oh, okay, so we can speak kindly to each other. Great. Oh, we can let each other finish our sentences before we start speaking. Oh, we can. So you can start to set up these, these sort of boundaries that are created with your troop, which is beautiful, right? Kids love to feel in control just as much as we like to feel in control because they're people. And so it's a very human thing, right? That need for control. And so I think if everybody can play a part in creating those boundaries um, within, within reason, obviously, I think that could really help to establish this sort of ground, these, this sort of ground level of saying, hey, we're all in this together. And these are the things that we can agree on as a group. And and in order to get those things done, these are the ways that we can operate and work together to make sure that happens. And I think creating that collaborative environment automatically sets you up to operate as a team, as a troop, right? So that everybody's looking out for each other, which is cool. You know, when we're talking about these kids who are bringing in these different elements that you can't plan for, well, if you have this like ethos for your troop, this, this sort of agreed upon guide that you're all following, then everybody gets to be a part of helping that one girl that comes in who's had a really crappy day at home and is just really struggling. Like everybody gets to be part of bringing her back into the fold and and, and getting everybody back on board, if that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I, I do want to ask though, what happens when somebody in the group violates that group agreement? Because group agreements are fairly common. Not everybody necessarily knows about them or does them, but I have, I've done that with my troop. I know a lot of people have done that with their troops or you've been part of it in like a corporate environment. Mm -hmm. What do we do when somebody violates that group agreement? Because creating it and then not using it can feel like what does that do for your group dynamic? I don't know. Do you mm. want to talk about any of that? All of the above. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is, it's a really beautiful opportunity to model for everyone that like, even when you go off the rails, because I honestly, like the, the, the idea that a kid would violate a rule, even that feels like not totally congruent or or maybe accurate to like where they are developmentally. Like most of these kids aren't, aren't, don't have the cognitive development to like intentionally violate something like behavior is always communication is what we like to say in my field of work. And so if behavior is communication, then the goal is never to ultimately to address the behavior. It's to address what's happening beneath it. Now, Some of this is way beyond the pay grade of a troop leader. So I will say that first and foremost. But I think if we can get really curious about what's happening with another person, especially with a kid who often doesn't have the language or the capacity to really um, 
to really vocalize or verbalize what they're what's happening internally. Um, the, the more curious we can be about their behavior, the better we can serve them and help bring them back into the fold, right? And it's a beautiful way to model that for all of your kids to let them know that like, hey, in this troop, we have each other's backs. Even when somebody messes up, we've still got their back and we're gonna help bring them back in. Practically speaking, sometimes that's not doable in a group setting. Sometimes that may mean that you have your other grown up that's helping you lead this troop to sit, sit next to that kid or, or just take them aside or, or pull them to the back of the space, not to isolate them, but just to give them a person who's there, who sees them, who's, who's completely focused on them and trying to help them to uh, recalibrate, so to speak, right. To regulate and, and get back on, on level ground. Yeah. Those are my thoughts about that. On that note, if you're the one who is maybe going to help try to diffuse the situation with an individual girl who's maybe quote unquote out of control or disrupting the group dynamic, what sure. what can you do to see them, to hear them, to help regulate? Mm-hmm. The, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. And it, it will be different for every person. So some of this is trial and error. Like some people some kids really respond well to just like physical presence. So sometimes it literally just takes sitting next to them and just patting them on the leg and letting them know that you're there or patting them on the back. Some kids are really verbal processors. So maybe it's pulling them aside or, or pulling them from the room and saying, Hey, yeah, I noticed you're having a really hard time in there. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on again? Like if you can always maintain a state of curiosity, not I have to get this kid to stop doing this, like let go of that because you, a, one person cannot control another person, like period <laughs> outside of like force or coercion or like physical violence, human beings cannot control one another. They can influence one another. They can lead one another, but they can't control, not really, not in any sort of healthy way. So I think if you can always, always, always stay in this state of curiosity and seeing them as a person, like they're a person that's having a really hard time because, you know, whether you think it's out of character for them or not, like, I don't think most kids enjoy feeling like they're the ones that are disrupting the whole group, feeling like they're the screw up, so to speak. No kid, no person likes that feeling, knowing like, huh, you're not doing this because it's fun. <laughs> you're doing this because there's something else going on. I wonder what that is. And to just literally ask them that. And maybe they can't really articulate what it is, but staying curious and like, hmm, I wonder, was today kind of a rough day before you got here? Like, what do you think could help? Like, what should we do? And maybe they need to like run around in circles for five minutes. Who knows? Like it may need to be a physical release of something. Um, And it may just be trial and error. But I think if we can stay in a state of genuine curiosity, we'll find the answer quicker than we will (laughs) when we're trying to, you know, just coerce and control the situation. This is so important. And I think there's a lot of situations I've had people reach out to me over the years and talk to me about this girl is hitting or this girl is mean Mm -hmm. or this girl is, you know, it's actively negative in the way that they're showing up. Right. But there are also a lot of stories and things that I've personally experienced. Uh, Even when I was a kid in Girl Scouts, I can remember a good friend of mine in the troop. She would show up so eager 
and she was interested and curious about everything, but she would Mm -hmm. touch everything. She would not stop talking. She would, even if she was able to control her urges to talk enough to raise her hand, her hand was always raised. And I've witnessed this with girls in my own troop. I've had people message me about this. These girls who you want to love them and encourage them to keep being Mm -hmm. them also it can be very disruptive and frustrating to whatever the group is trying to accomplish or the group is trying to do, even for field trips and um, going out into spaces outside of your troop meeting. It can feel like that too, you know, if you're touring a police station or you're touring a bakery or whatever, and the to the people who are trying to lead the tour, right? And you're, yeah. you as the adult who brought the girls into the situation, <sighs> you're trying to help make that experience as effective for the overall group as possible. So how do you balance that of like, I want to encourage her to stay curious and stay loud and use her voice. Also, can she please only do it when it's convenient for us? <laughs> uh, the, the key question, right? Like, I want to encourage kids to be themselves, but how do I do that That to the degree that it's not an inconvenience to me. <laughs> I'm laughing because that I, I totally get it. Like, I know that feeling so well. I think, I, you know, interestingly, like you were talking about that little girl, uh, the little girl who's like really anxiously like wanting to participate and always talking and blah, blah, blah. My first thought was like, hey, give that girl a piece of gum and a fidget. Like give her something to do with her mouth and or with her hands that isn't going to disrupt the group like if those are the (laughs) because and I only say that because I'm looking at it from like a this like developmental like lens of saying like oh I wonder if she has some like because my stepson is very similar right he's a talker but when he's chewing gum he's not talking but he is still getting that like oral fixation so like I'm looking at it from this developmental lens of like oh maybe there's a sensor you need here (laughs) um which obviously like you can't always assess that but I think once again, though, if you stay curious and just sort of in an observer state to say like, huh, okay, this little girl's talking a whole lot and raising her hand a whole lot. She loves to participate and she loves to learn. Okay. Could I give her a job? Could I give that particular troop member, um, the job of whatever, I don't know, holding the door open every time we go on a trip or, uh, taking the role on the bus before we leave or getting the head count or, you know, whatever, I, I don't know, whatever jobs are appropriate for a kid like that. Um, but it really is sitting back and observing who that kid is as a person and saying like, huh, what's the need here? Again, what is this behavior communicating? What is this? Is this like a need to, to feel like part of the team? Is this just a deep desire to learn? Is this a, she just wants to talk, you know, like, what is it? And how can we sort of come at this from multiple angles and sort of solve this problem in a way that is beneficial for everyone that doesn't hurt anyone, right? Because like you said, you don't want to take away from her experience and you certainly don't want her to feel like she can't be herself. And you want, you know, obviously you want these kids to stay curious, just like we should stay curious. But how do you do that, you know, effectively and without disruption? And sometimes, yeah, it's just a matter of like kind of coming at it, trying to problem solve it from all different angles rather than I need to get her to stop talking. It's like, why does she need to keep talking? And is it really about the talking? Is this something else, you know, 
I don't know if that makes any sense, but that the whole time you were talking, I was, I just kept thinking like bubble gum in my head <laughs> for that particular kid. That's so interesting. And I'm, I find myself thinking two things. One is the girl from my own troop when I was growing up, I now see this situation in a whole new light. And number two is, do I need to chew more gum? <laughs> because mm. would that help with my own yeah. <laughs> talking? <laughs> uh, okay. So when girls, sometimes when girls come to the meeting and they have more going on, you know, they're not necessarily showing up as their happiest, healthiest, most regulated selves. Sometimes it's obvious they come in crying yeah. or they, um, you can just tell by their physical appearance or the way that they talk or the way that they behave. But what are some cues? Because sometimes it's more subtle and it kind of takes you by surprise. So what are some cues? And this can be tough. And I want to go ahead and before, sorry, before you answer, um, I want to go ahead and acknowledge that this can be really tough because depending on how many girls, even if there's five, which is typically the smallest amount to be considered a troop, although we all know that sometimes there are situations you have less than five girls in your room or in your troop or whatever, but generally speaking, uh, most people probably have five to 12 girls in their troop at any given time. And some people have like 40, right? It can be tough to necessarily be really in tune to each of their individual kind of journeys that they're coming to the meeting with. So what are some cues that we can try to be aware of um, looking for so that it doesn't then kind of take us by surprise with a huge disruption? Yeah, totally. Um, I love that question. I think Generally speaking, uncharacteristic behavior, sometimes that is really loud and disruptive behavior. Sometimes it is a kid who's normally very engaged, being very quiet. Sometimes it's really aggressive behavior. Uh, sometimes it's like overexcited behavior, you know, like, but anything that is like seemingly uncharacteristic. And again, like this is hard, like you're saying, and, and as I'm thinking about this in the context of Girl Scouts, I'm like, gosh, this is, this is a, this is above the pay grade again, <laughs> I think of a troop leader, but, but to your point, I think looking for those kinds of things, sometimes it's audible and sometimes it's not, but being on the lookout for these sort of uncharacteristic things, sometimes it's body language, you know, um, can at least help you to not be taken aback or surprised when something happens, um, if something happens, but and, and you won't always be able to address it either. Like, I don't know that that's realistic, but generally speaking, I think the, the biggest clue is, is any behavior that's uncharacteristic or, or just sort of like on that lives on the extremes, either very, very quiet and withdrawn or very, very loud and all over the place. Both of those things, it's, it's like the two, um, like a, fight or flight kind of response coming out in behavior and body language, right? You've got this, this hiding away, this almost like a fawn response of shutting down. Some kids do that if something's going on and other kids, it comes out in all of this nervous, crazy energy that's either excited energy or, or aggressive energy, but you feel it often, but you can also see it either with body language or hear it through their spoken language as well. Oh, I love so much about this conversation and I, I especially love, and I want to call this out that you've said a couple of times it's above the pay grade of a troop leader. Right. And I, I want to talk about this briefly, at least because first of all, I want this to feel like a permission slip for you that if you're listening and you feel like sometimes how the heck am I supposed to know what to do? How the heck am I supposed to be equipped with this? What, you know, who am I to be in this scenario and this level of 
of support for girls' well-being on on my shoulders, right? So I first want this to be a permission slip to yourself of it's okay that you and it's expected that you don't you don't have the answers and you aren't equipped to just be an expert at handling this just by mm-hmm. walking in. Even even if you are a mom and you're listening, you're you can be a really really great mom and still not be an expert on managing every girl in your troops well-being at the same time, right? Totally. And so that you're still just as good of a mom, you're still just as intuitive as a mom, you still understand, you know, your role as a mom perfectly well. You're a good mm-hmm. person, you're a good mom, you're a good human, right? And um and you care about the girls and we know that or you wouldn't be doing this in the first place. So like that is all still true and also we don't no, none of us have the answers. None of us know what we're doing. We're all doing the best no, we can. gosh. And that's why these conversations are so important because we can be better equipped to just try to continue to make the space even safer for girls, right? Yeah. Well, and I want to say one other thing on that note, kids more than anything, more than anything, know who, like they're great judges of character, right? Like they can pick out the people who actually care about them in a room without anybody saying a word. Like they just know, like they feel it. And so even, even if you have no idea how to, how to manage you know, some of the things that might come up in your group, I think generally speaking, having a caring adult in their life, which some of these kids, you may be the only one. And that that's not to put pressure on you or to put, you know, some undue like responsibility on you. It's to say that the fact that you're showing up as someone who cares about these kids, like some of them don't have that. And it's the very reason they're showing up to your troop and they seem out of control to you. Like they so desperately need kids so desperately need more caring adults in their lives. And so even just that alone is and and this is probably what, what feeds into the statistic about, you know, what happens to girls who go through this program, like despite who their leaders are, it's the fact that they show up to a place that has this really cool structure to it. Um, that builds character in them that is all led by care, like people who care about kids. Like that's, I mean, that's, you're miles ahead of, <laughs> of so many other spaces that they find themselves in. So I think at the end of the day, that's to me at the core of all of it, regardless of how you problem solve all this stuff, like that's what matters most. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think we've talked about that on this podcast before, but, but basically saying that, even for kids who are not in a position to easily trust the adults in their lives, mm-hmm. consistently showing up week over week, or I mean, my troop was every other week, same same point, over time, continuing to show up for that kid from a place of I'm here because I care about girls and I care about this group of girls, that alone over time mm-hmm. builds trust. And so it, it is just so what you do is so valuable. So thank you guys so much for what you do for girls. It just really matters. Okay. Really good. Really important segue here. Really important question though. Do you have any tips or suggestions for how we communicate with the parents and guardians about behavior, about their (laughs) girls behavior? How do we talk to their parents about what's going on? As a kid person, this is the hardest part of the job. 
in my opinion, <laughs> talking to a parent about their kid's behavior, um, because often the posture in that conversation is very defensive because obviously like no parent wants to think that their kid would do something disruptive or that, that their kid, you know, cause there's this concept of like kids are a reflection of their parents, which I hate, but the kids are a reflection of us. And so if they screw up, that means we are screw ups as parents. And I, I hope that eventually we can let go of that. But regardless, um, I, well, I'll, I'll give you an example of how I've approached parents, um, in the past. So I remember there was a little boy, uh, so I used to be a children's pastor. So I ran the children's program of this church and there was this kid who was exhibiting some like really unusual behavior. And I was like, what on earth? And of course, like my classrooms are all run by volunteers. Like I, I have been like, I know what this feels like. And so I, I saw this, you know, noticed this behavior and, and I finally just asked the parents, I said, Hey, could you tell me a little bit about this kid's name? Could you, could you tell me a little bit about him? And then they tell me that he has this particular diagnosis that they had not informed me about. And it made everything make sense. Right. I, I think approaching the parents with just as much care as you feel for the kid to say like, Hey, can you, so here's what I'm noticing. You can always come from a place of just like, I'm just observing here. I'm not, there's no judgment. Like there's don't place any value judgment on it. Just here's something that I'm observing. And I'm just curious if you've noticed that, or if you know what might be going on or how we can help. Like just like offer, serve, like offer your support, offer your curiosity with no judgment. And that's it. Like, because it's such a diffusing, that's such a diffusing way to have the conversation rather than Hey, so listen, Rachel's been like hitting all these kids. Like we can't have that. Like, I, and I don't know what to do anymore about it. Like that's going to be an, it's going to get you an immediate defensive response because there's this like exasperation about their kid. Right. But I think if you can come, come to the parents with genuine care for their kid, curiosity about their kid and offering support in any way you can, um, is going to get you the best possible response. That is such amazing advice. And I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode just on that question. I'm like, kind of wish totally. I would asked that earlier. Do mm-hmm. you have, how about tips for communicating with other, like with your co-leaders? Because I think so many of us can relate to this. We tend to end up with kind of a default. And I'm going to go back to that discipline word, like a disciplinarian, like the bad guy, like the good guy mm-hmm. and the bad guy. And related, I remember I had a co-leader who, and I've told this story on the pod in, in full on the podcast in the past, but um, I had a co-leader who came to me at the end of a meeting once exasperated saying, I'm the, I'm the walk. They walk all over me. I'm the pushover. I'm the easy one. Yeah. They know, they know that they can control the situation, the <laughs> dynamic when I'm the one who's leading their group, you know, and I don't know what to do anymore because I, they, they know they can walk all over me. And that's even a whole other third category oh, besides goodbye and bad guy. Conversation. So, Girl, that's a whole other conversation. These yep. roles that we sort of fall into in co-leaders mm-hmm. where they, the kids kind of almost prescribe it. Like they identified, this is going to be <laughs> the good one. This is going to be the mean one, right? Like how do we as co-leaders kind of manage those dynamics and how do we communicate amongst each other just as adults about how to be on the same page about how to manage the group dynamics. Yeah. Okay. So I'll speak to the kid part first. So these kids are not in charge of you. 
they're not in charge of how you show up for the group. They're not in charge of the kind of person that you are. Like they don't actually get to decide that. If that's the role that you find yourself playing, it's because you're playing it. Like you are playing the role. They didn't decide the role and assign it to you. You fell into it. Now, that's not to say like you're a horrible person for doing that or you're weak. Um, It's to say some of that is very natural, right? Like, for example, I am, I tend to be a very conflict avoidant person. And so having to hold really firm boundaries, even with kids, is sometimes very difficult for me. Luckily, I'm like, fun and a very kid friendly person. And so I tend to get cooperation just by means of like playing with them and kind of like being on a team with them. But, um, but to be fair, I, I could very easily fall into the role of being the one that gets walked all over. Right. But again, that's on me. That's because I haven't done the work to, to feel confident, um, or to practice holding firm boundaries. Right. I haven't, communicated clearly maybe to them what my expectations are of our time together. I haven't, it could be that like, I haven't shown up at like with care for them. I'm more concerned about getting things done, but I'm not strong enough to hold boundaries. And so they just walk all over me and then we don't get the things done. And then I feel like a victim to all these kids. You're not these kids victim. Like you're the leader, man. Like they don't decide that. So just want to say, just want to say that, but of course that's my perspective as a kid first person, but I do think that's true. Secondly, I think it's, it's important for us to take responsibility for ourselves as the grownups, right. And to take ownership of how we show up in these groups to that end. I think working with your fellow troop leaders, the other grownups in your space, um, I think having those conversations, like talking about your strengths and weaknesses, your personality types, your tendencies, and, and you could decide, maybe, maybe you do decide for a while that like, Hey, um, can you be the one to step in? And, you know, if, if a kid is being really disruptive, can you be the one to, to either step up next to them and, and put a hand on their shoulder to let them know you're there with them or pull them aside. Can you do that for now? Like maybe it's just you set agreements and, and guidelines, right. Uh, 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 an agreed upon ethic with your other troop leaders to say, here, here are the roles that feel like they make the most sense for us. And, and if at any point we find ourselves feeling really frustrated with those roles, let's reevaluate, let's revisit it and figure out a different way to do it. Like nothing is set in stone. Nothing is permanent. Um, So you can always revise those roles, but I think taking responsibility for how you show up in the group. um, And if it's not working again, getting really curious about why, and then problem solving that and figuring out a different way forward. All really good advice. And this might be a tough one, but I, (laughs) you can say more than one thing if there's more than one thing that you want to talk about, but What is one thing you wish more adults who work with kids knew? Okay. Uh, Okay. (laughs) If I had to, which I realize I don't have to, but if I were to boil it down to one thing, I think that I wish every adult knew and like really knew that kids are human beings having a human experience on this planet that they've never been here before. Some of them have only been here for 
five Novembers. That is not a lot, folks. So to remember that these are like brand new people on the planet who are just now figuring stuff out, some of which they can't even fully comprehend yet. Like that's it really like at the all of it boils down to that right the curiosity stuff we're talking about the the child development stuff all of it really ultimately boils down to truly having a mindset of seeing them as people having a human experience who if they are going off the rails or doing something that you feel is just completely out of control there's always a reason for it for the same reason that you know when you yell at your spouse because you've had a crap day, it's not because you hate your spouse. It's because you've had a crap day, right? It's not because it's who you are. It's because you've had a crap day. I, I wish, I wish everybody working with kids had that lens on all the time. I just have to tell you this excited about this interview and geeking out to my husband before I got on this <laughs> call with you. Um, I was trying to explain kind of what you do and who you are. And I said, mm-hmm. I, she creates all, she does a lot of cool stuff, but she creates this content. And I I told him, you're going to love this, but she has this radical idea that kids are people. And he was like, (laughs) oh yeah, she sounds awesome. Like that's really cool content. (laughs) So I'm so excited that that was your answer Mm -hmm. because I feel like I um, described you perfectly. (laughs) So I'm glad I've communicated that clearly through the things that I've done, because that really is like at the, at the heart of every bit of it is, is that right. It's so desperately wanting our society to see kids as people and even though usually when I say that there's like this response of like well of course they are I'm like well I mean you say that (laughs) but we certainly don't operate that way as a society so I so yeah I I'm glad that that has that that has come through in the work that I've done and the the content that I've put out because that is that's my heart I love it So on that same note, can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you are working on right now? Yes. Oh, good segue, actually. Um, Yes. So I am in kind of the the last leg of the first phase of a project that I launched in August called Every Little Step. And it is essentially a fundraising campaign. So I'm selling this digital artwork um, of these little step stools that I drew. It's a collection of a hundred step stools and each one is unique. And um, basically every purchase of a, a piece of digital art funds the purchase of a physical step stool that I am then hand customizing and delivering to a local business here in Nashville to make their bathrooms more accessible to little kids. It has been such a fun project. It's, it's a creative project, which I love because I am a creative and artist. And so that's been fun, but it's, it's been the perfect blend of that plus right? This, this heart of mine to see the world showing respect to kids and treating them with dignity with something as simple as, you know, providing some basic accessibility (laughs) in public spaces because they are members of the public and they deserve that. So that's been really fun. That's the, that's kind of my biggest project uh, at the moment is every little step. And that's, you can find out more about that project on the website and it is just everylittlestep.co. In my personal opinion, absolutely everyone listening to this should be following you personally on social media as well, because your content is just awesome. So where Mm -hmm. can people find, follow, connect with you online? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Anna underscore skates, just like roller skates. You can find me online at annaskates.co. You can reach out to me via email. Hello at annaskates.co. I'm on Twitter, same handle as Instagram, Anna underscore skates. And on TikTok, but not often, uh, at Miss Anna Official. Seriously, so good. Her, if you're on Instagram, her Instagram reels are, as the kids say, chef's kiss. And <laughs> um, my easily my most shared account. So mm-hmm. I I cannot encourage you enough to follow her. And if you do go look at her profiles, you will understand immediately why not just because she's great, but because she stands for so much of what I stand for on this podcast. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, Anna for spending time with us today. And I really appreciate you. Um, Deeply, deeply, deeply honored to have been here. This was a blast.